but it seems to me that whenever I'm talking to somebody about their old playing days on a baseball team or a basketball team or a hockey team, those conversations always shift to happy memories, winning the championship game or making a last second shot or whatever it is. But they rarely focus on the negative aspects of being on a team. And there has to be two sides to that coin. And not that I always want to focus on the negative of something, but now as a parent, I sort of look at the topic through a bit of a different lens. I can imagine my son coming to me one day wanting to play a team sport and having that conversation with him. And I sort of want to go into those conversations eyes wide open. So I was hoping to get a better idea or at least a fuller picture of what it means to play on a team and the positive and negative aspects of doing so. Episode 5 of Two Nobodies. Welcome. I'm Kyle. Uh, I always call myself the lesser of the two nobodies, and I sort of like that. I think I'm going to keep it. And I always call Rupesh the foremost nobody, and I sort of like that too, so I'm going to keep it. Um, and today, today, I was hoping that we could talk a little bit about team sports. And generally, what what's good about playing team sports, what's bad about playing team sports, and if Rupesh and I would ever consider putting our kids in team sports, and, and maybe why we would have... Uh, have the the desire to do that or or maybe if we would be a little um, hesitant to do so maybe why and and kind of get into that but before we do I should welcome in uh, the aforementioned foremost nobody Rupesh how are you doing pal I'm good I you know I'm just gonna take I'm just gonna take the accolades I'm gonna I just gonna listen to whatever you want to do so puts a lot of foremost. pressure on you puts it a does. lot of pressure it does um, I'm doing good I uh, had a good week uh yeah, I I really enjoyed our conversation last week. I thought just good flow, and I I learned a ton about you. And there's a lot of vulnerability and good sharing of stories, and it was good. And and I kind of heard some good feedback, which I wanted to kind of uh, reflect. But at first, actually, I do want to say it's been one month since we've been doing this, man, and we've actually month anniversary, <laughs> month anniversary, and uh, we've had about a over 140 downloads. So I just want to say in our first one, so thank you to the people who have been listening to us. I can see the stats and I see people are repeating uh, or coming back episode for episode. So really, really appreciate that. I think Kyle and I, we just want to have a conversation with each other and hope we're hoping that it, people would listen to it. So the, the fact that, you know, we have repeat followers, that's, that's awesome. Um, just to just to be aware, uh, you can listen to us uh, on multiple places. So you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Music, so you through your iTunes. You can listen to us on through the Podbean website. Um, just post it on YouTube as well, which could be good because if you want to leave any comments, um, we can definitely track things there and, and, and could reply back to you that way. So that might be an interesting thing to do. Um, if you... If you really do enjoy listening to us, then then hit follow or hit like or all that kind of stuff. I mean, that always um, helps as well. So, and then if you're really enjoying the conversation, sharing it with um, people you know, uh, that'd be that'd be great as well. I think for me, I don't know about you, Kyle, but I really wanted, especially like with COVID and stuff going on, I really found like it was kind of hard to interact with 
with people and to really have some of those deeper conversations. I'm sure a lot of people are feeling that. And so for me, just to just to get some of this interaction that I'm getting with some friends and family and, and colleagues um, on the podcast, and people are just giving me some really reflective stuff um, on the content. And so it's not even just the technical stuff. I'm getting some really like people are getting into the the things that we're talking about, which is which is great. And so, you know, hopefully Kyle and I actually have um, tunelready.com kind of registered. So hopefully we'll, we'll launch the website and uh, we'll see what we can do there. I talked about the YouTube comments. Uh, Kyle, I think you were going to look into maybe Reddit. Reddit's kind of been a big deal this week with this Wall Street bet stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so Insane, no yeah. investment advice from us, but at least maybe it could be a forum for comments too. I don't know. Yeah, CDs. I've invested all my money in compact discs. Yes. Blockbuster's making a comeback. Too, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Put all your money in Blockbuster. Yeah, that's right. Uh, MySpace. Yeah, yeah, MySpace. I think we should get the podcast up on MySpace maybe. And yeah, ICQ, next, does that still exist? ICQ, ICQ yeah. Uh, yeah. Nexopia, wasn't that the thing? Wasn't I mean, that like I, a pre, I mean, maybe post MySpace, pre Facebook? Maybe. Ma- yeah, okay, yeah, all right. I only dabbled in the obscure uh, social media platforms. I'm sort of a purist that way, I suppose. It, it, I mean, I guess if our listeners really want to have some encrypted messages, we could go on like Signal or something like that. I don't even know what that is. That's like, that's the thing that Elon Musk has been promoting because of his feud with Mark Zuckerberg on Facebook. He's just like, everyone get away from WhatsApp because of the new privacy policy, get onto Signal. So it's, it's sig- oh, really? Yeah. So, so Signal's like a, a messaging app? It's just, yeah, it's just like a messaging app like WhatsApp, but WhatsApp changed their privacy policy so that they would now, because it's owned by Facebook, so now Facebook would actually be transferring the WhatsApp data to Facebook. Oh, so yeah. So that's just in in WhatsApp. It's supposed to be encrypted. It's supposed to be very private. So Elon Musk is just like everyone moved to Signal, and so now everyone is moving to Signal. Okay, richest man in the world. <laughs> yeah, we will do whatever you want to do. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So so anyway, so just wanted to share where things are because I've had a few comments from people about, hey, can I listen to? Do I have to listen to it on Spotify or um, I don't have that or can I listen to it on iTunes? So. Uh, we have it on a few channels um, if if you wanted to uh, listen to it that way. Um, but I did want to, there were a couple of reflective comments, Kyle, before we get into the team sports. Can I just kind of reflect on that? Yeah, yeah, please. Yep. So I had one listener who said that, you know, they had a, they have a child, um, that child's a little bit older. And um, when they had their first kid, you know, certainly was very, were very anxious. We kind of talked about that ourselves. And so they just had a second kid not too long ago, and they assumed that with the second kid that because they went through the first that it would be more relaxed because you just generally know what to expect probably. But when they had their first kid, they had that at a time when COVID wasn't around and there were support groups and people that they could lean on. And so going through this year of COVID with their second kid and you now take away the gatherings and these support groups, um, that person's finding it, you know, there's like, there's more time to sit and dwell on what's going on. And it seems like it's a little bit more difficult. So I thought that was, that was useful to know. I thought that was a useful reflection and, uh, and, and obviously a reality for, for so many people. And, 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 you know, frankly, probably a little bit going to be for you in some ways in, in a month or so or, yeah. Yeah, no, the the isolation aspect is, is very real. And I certainly have days where I feel 
alone, which is sort of funny because I live in a house with a wife and a son. And mm-hmm. but I I didn't realize um, how much I sort of relied on social interactions and just conversations with friends or activities with friends or whatever it was. Yeah. But I I really rely on that stuff. Turns out, and I really do miss my friends. And I'm and you know I was on a video chat last night with some friends, uh, and it's just it's so restorative in a way just to interact with people and to have conversations with people and you know laugh with other people um and so i imagine that that gets magnified when you have a second child at home and you're probably low on sleep and there's no shortage of things to to worry about if you don't have those social escapes or those people that you can kind of have conversations about or sorry with about your fears or worries or even just about something else to kind of stop thinking about it for a while it's I can imagine that, that that the isolation could be um feel quite suffocating in a lot of ways and Absolutely. So I'm I'm hoping to go into our second child sort of eyes wide open and understand that and not hesitate to reach out to people and really I'm really use you, <laughs> Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. Um mm-hmm. I will be leaning on that on our relationship certainly and just to reach out to people when I need to have a conversation, even if it's just about hockey or something else, right? It's, it's, it's incredibly important, certainly. So I can, I, um, that comment definitely resonates with me. Yeah. The other, the other comment was a little bit different, but I thought was really cool because, you know, we, you and I talk about, uh, when we're talking about these topics, a lot of it is focused on sort of our lives and coming from that aspect. And we try to, you know, tackle things from multiple directions, but it really still is born from, from things that we're experiencing or probably going to be experiencing at least so far anyways. And so it probably doesn't apply to every listener that we have directly in their lives. And so uh, one comment I had though, was that through our reflections and, and, and us kind of getting deep on a few things, this person felt like they could then take that and really relate it back to them. So, I mean, I really loved hearing that comment because it means such a bonus, right? Like to know that what you and I are talking about almost like transcends into the facets of other people's lives, right? Like I didn't, didn't expect or, or necessarily thought about making that a purposeful part of our conversation. And so to hear someone say that I think is, is pretty neat. Yeah. There's a book I, talked about a couple episodes ago called the subtle art of not giving a fuck by mm-hmm. i think mark manson and yeah basically the whole start of that book is him telling people that you're not that special um but mostly because you haven't you're not going through something that nobody else on earth has gone through chances mm-hmm. are the problems that you're facing and the and the things that, that you're worried about or the things that kind of keep you up at night are also keeping up a bunch of other people at night it's so um that comment was interesting for me to read because it you know it's it's helpful to talk about this stuff and to it almost helps you feel like a bit of a member of a community or something when you're going through a hard time you can talk about it with somebody else and total strangers can kind of connect with that because they're going through you know a very similar thing to you at the same time and mm-hmm. so i think it's really nice to kind of build that sense of community and just to know other people are going through it too and um, that doesn't make it any less difficult or any, you know, less taxing on you emotionally or physically or whatever it is. But that, you know, to me personally, makes going through some difficult times a little bit easier knowing other people have gone through it, are going through it and have gotten through it in the past. And I think talking about those kinds of things for other people to listen to can only help that. Yeah. 
yeah so so those were the those were the two um comments that i got that really stood out for me over the past week from from a few folks that were listening to it um but yeah really looking forward to this conversation i didn't i mean i only played i played volleyball in high school but i did definitely did um i was a strength coach for the men's basketball team over through university so definitely got to hang around hang around with a lot of those players so I, I definitely build in some of those reflections and generally i'm a sports fan and and study it from a leadership perspective so hopefully i can contribute to this episode but I, i'm curious like what was sort of the catalyst or driver for you to want to have this conversation yeah, it's a, it's a good question and I think really I don't really know where it came from but I I think maybe where it came from is I played sports growing up, uh team sports growing up. And I always look back fondly on them and I I learned a lot about myself and I learned a lot about other people and I always look back on it as a bit of a positive ex- you know experience and I but I real, but I sort of recognize that that probably isn't the case. That team sports probably aren't always a positive thing, and there's mm. probably not always positive aspects that are experienced through team sports. And now that I have a son, and I think about sort of what if he shows interest in team sports and wants to pursue them, would I let him play those things, mm. uh, those those games or sports, and would I want him to be part of those teams? And if I if I would why or if i wouldn't why not and sort of like a lot of other topics on this podcast i turns out i didn't really know anything about why they're good or why they're bad and so i just do some quick research and it usually ends up being a little more interesting than i than initially thought it would and so i just thought it was an interesting conversation to have yeah. um i'm sure i'm not the only parent out there who's who has kids who at some point might show interest in team sports and they're a little on the fence, whether they want to let them participate in team sports or not and sort of what their fears are around it. And it could be based on what their experiences were playing team sports growing up, or maybe they never did, or, you know, maybe they were bullied by, um, you know, members of a certain sports team when they were in high school or something. And so they have a really negative view of it and rightfully so. Right. Cause there's a lot of, I think that there are a lot of negative aspects of, of sort of team sports and there can be a bit of a toxic culture and, in some arenas and I just kind of wanted to sort of have a conversation with you about it and see if we could learn a little bit more about it and selfishly help my considerations down the road. If, if my son ever wants to take part in those team sports and just kind of go into with a bit better of a knowledge base. So I, I think really, um, how I wanted to start was just a little overview like we generally do about team sports and maybe some benefits that come out of them, maybe some cons, um, that, are experienced when kids are playing team sports and then just have a bit of a conversation as to around what our feelings are around if we would let our kids play team sports or not. Sure. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's good. I mean, it definitely, it's not selfish on your end too. Like it's, it's something that Michelle and I think about for Avina as well in terms of individual and team sports. And if she wanted to get in that realm, um, I think the other thing I might want to fold in a conversation about body image and the reason why I wanted to do that is certainly you know when i worked with athletes it was from a fitness perspective and noticing you know the guys i would train they would some some of them would measure up and try to see you know oh i gotta look like this and and seeing it from seeing it from guys you know at an adult age or you know 17 and older it's not uncommon and but it makes me think about you know if avina got into a sport you know we definitely know that 
it happens in female sports and the demands and the pressures are probably even more for uh, arguably for for young girls and and um in teenage girls and, and and women overall in terms of uh body image and what that should look like if you're if you're playing a certain sport so i thought maybe we could uh fold some of that that in as well yeah if that's okay yeah, yeah i think that probably connects to you know especially if we start talking about men and body image connects a little bit in back to our i think our second episode of masculinity and sort of what it means to be a man so sure yeah i know i i think that's a good avenue to explore so i guess i'll just start talking about maybe some of the benefits of playing team sports sure. um i think first off it's you know the whole physical aspect of it so the whole increased fitness level generally of of kids that are playing team sports i mean certain sports probably have a bit more like if you're a soccer player and you're running whatever it is 15 kilometers a game versus if you're a third baseman on a baseball team that that uh, doesn't see a ball all game it's it's probably a little bit different so this this isn't the same across all all team sports but generally speaking if you're part of a team there's practices there's some form of conditioning going on there and so you're probably going to be a little bit healthier from the cardiovascular standpoint and the mm-hmm. strength standpoint to certain sports you know a lot of teams generally have uh, particularly when you get involved um in the mid-teens to late teens there's strength training and and um, right you know power skating and hockey things like that where they really focus on strength and so you know you're probably a little bit stronger and you can probably run a little bit farther without uh losing your breath so i think that's a pretty obvious one but but there's a couple other aspects um to being an athlete in general and being on a team that that are beneficial and one i think is uh there's a correlation between student athletes uh there's one study for student athletes between um, grades nine and 12, something like 97% of student athletes in the United States graduated high school. And that's about 10% higher than non-student athletes, which is interesting. And on average, student athletes have a higher GPA than, than non-student mm-hmm. athletes. And I think that that's really, I mean, this probably isn't really a team sport thing because it comes down mostly to the benefits of just being physically active and sort of the increased blood flow and maybe the increased um, uh, brain function because of, of the increased blood flow to the brain. So that might not be a team sport aspect, but it, probably goes along with being on a team well and i think also you know when you're when you're especially if in high school and then for sure into university learning these team sports the commitment is is such a high amount that you really have no time for many other things right and and so you're not you know engaging with the wrong crowds you're not you're not you know obviously Parting and hazing happens in university sports, like that kind of stuff. It's just, you know, right now anyway, is still part of the deal. But generally, you're you're so committed to the sport that you just don't have time for anything else. And so all you got to do is, I remember my basketball guys would, they be practice games and then studying for for classes and then have limited time maybe on a Friday night to 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 go out for drinks or, or go party a little bit. Um, but I can't imagine that that would be different in high school or if you're playing club sports and as a teenager, um, you just don't have time for anything else. Yeah. So. Well, and, and that's, so another benefit is generally student athletes are much better at time management than, than, uh, yeah. students who are not athletic because they, they just right. simply don't have the time. If you want to get good grades and be a good athlete, you just have to be good at time management because there's only a, you know 24 hours in a day and you have to sleep for eight of them then the rest are all for study or athletics so generally student athletes have um, much better time management skills mm-hmm. um 
athletes, so this again is sort of athletes in general, but they, um, so athletics can help with emotional development through increased concentration, better memory, enhanced creativity, um, more effective uh, problem solving, which is interesting. And, and I think, again, that's sort of related to that increased blood flow, maybe increased blood to the brain, so higher cognitive function in some degrees. F- uh, fostering mentorship was an interesting one to me. Mm-hmm. So if you're on a team, so kids who are on a team who have strong leaders, whether that's a coach or that's an older member of the team that they kind of look up to and see as a mentor, they generally later in life can identify strong mentors better than kids who haven't been exposed mm-hmm. to that team setting because they've had the ability to, to see what yeah. a good leader looks like or what a good mentor is. And generally in a team setting, older players and, and certainly coaches are there to mentor and help younger players and so it's sort of built into that culture so you sort of it's a two-way street so you can become a better mentor but generally you do that by seeing what a good mentor is and later in life Mm -hmm. that carries over to you being actually that looks like a good mentor that seems like a good leader so there's um it it helps to foster better mentorship and identify better mentors which i thought was an interesting one well and also i mean if you're that good mentor to somebody when you're entering the workforce, like you said, similarly, you're going to, you're going to know what the qualities are of a good mentor just because you were that person to somebody else. And so you're probably less likely to settle and, and probably more willing to challenge your leadership because you know what works and what doesn't work. So, yeah. And and so the identification of better mentorship and being a better mentor uh, this next one also, uh, which is developing stronger communication skills. I mean, if you're in a, if you're in a team setting, generally there's mm-hmm. lots of feedback, lots of communication, certainly in game, but also at practice when you're developing whatever your systems are for offense, defense, whatever it is. There, there's lots of communication there. And this other one, um, you learn critical, quick decision making skills generally through those same processes that, that I just mentioned. In-game, quick decisions, certainly part of it, but you're trained in practice. There's hours and hours and hours on how to identify and and how to make these kind of critical, quick decisions. And all mm-hmm. three of those things, so the mentorship aspect, the communication aspect, and the critical, quick decision-making abilities translate quite well over to a professional setting in an office. And so later in life, generally student athletes are seen as leaders more often in workspaces than, than those who weren't student athletes, which I thought was an interesting part too. I wonder if uh, if those same athletes who were in team sports, let's say, and they had all those all those good qualities that you talked about, um, like they got to experience the the quick thinking, the good judgment. They had the support. They had the mentorship. In their professional setting, if they don't have those kind of same that if they don't have that same environment or the same qualities or attributes around them, are they more likely to struggle? That's a good question. And I, I don't know the answer to it, but it's an interesting question. And it certainly yeah. could be. I mean, it, yeah, because I, I would think that it just, yeah, I would think that it, they're sort of used to and to a certain environment and what they know what it takes to thrive. And then if it's not there, that would be a challenge. I mean, I guess, I suppose if you are, have those leadership qualities you're more willing and likely to try to cultivate what you know would what you know would be a high performing team but i guess if you weren't that kind of person it might be perhaps it could be a struggle anyways this is a thought that occurred yeah no and it stands to reason in my mind i don't know if the data backs that up or not but it that mm. seems like a reasonable conclusion to draw yeah yeah um what, what else we got here so um 
kids who are also part of a team, sports team, generally are better at building self-esteem and they have an increased sense of self as a result of the frequent social interactions and strong relationships that, that they built with teammates. So that also stands to reason too, I think, because mm. if you're, let's say for example, whatever, you're on your high school volleyball team, like, um, and after, after class three, four days a week, you're with this group of people and you sort of develop these relationships and you develop, um, uh, and you're frequently interacting with these people that through those increased interactions, you would probably get a better sense of sort of who you are and how you interact with other people and sort of learn more about yourself that way. So that point also made sense to me. I, yeah. So when you said that, I, I that makes sense to me when you, when you provide that rationale, I also suspect though, there would be, maybe that'd be more on the initial side. There'd be a little bit of like feeling like you're not good enough for that needing to measure up, right? Like if you saw your teammates performing, performing at a higher level or you're competing for the same spot or something like that, just kind of questioning your worth and your value and whether you're not good enough. And then and that, even if you, even if you had those supports, I would think that'd still be a struggle. I think so too. I think that there is a bit of a, almost a positive aspect to what you just mentioned. So there's two things here. I think that the, that team sports can also expose you to failure, mm-hmm. but that also there then teaches you how to deal with failure and teaches you mm-hmm. that life isn't always fair and teaches you that sometimes things don't always break your way and you're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. And right. I, so I think being exposed to those forms of failure, even if it's unlucky, even if you lose a game in the last minute because of a bad call or because of an unlucky bounce or whatever it is, if you're exposed to those situations more than you're not, you're probably going to be able to manage them a little bit better than if you'd never seen them before. And so they, um, there's more anecdotal evidence around this, but generally kids who are on teams who play sports are better at handling scenarios of failure, but in a healthy way. So they can kind of internalize it and, 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 and understand it and, uh, and sort of grow from it. And I would assume that's just because th- that they're exposed to it more. The other aspect of it though is there are situations, for example, maybe where the parents are pressuring the kid to play a sport or pressuring the kid to try out, and the kid doesn't really like the sport. And so they're being forced into this situation. So you have parents that want you really, really badly to play baseball. Mm-hmm. And so they make you go to high school baseball tryouts or right. whatever, even like grade seven, eight, uh, to go try out for whatever the local baseball team is and you hate baseball like you're sort of scared of the ball you don't want to play and you show up and you sort of just get the shit kicked out of you for however long that lasts or even a season like if you get signed up for a sport that you don't want to play and you're forced to be there and everybody else is better than you that can be the exact opposite that can make you very very self-conscious and that can sort of break your confidence a little bit Mm -hmm. um and so there's a real when parents pressure children to to play sports and the kids don't want to be there and it takes all the joy out of it. Or, I mean, we even, um, where we live, Rupesh hockey is this really, really, Mm. um, prominent sport. It's, it's everywhere, but also there's a lot of negative aspects of, of that. And even talking to my father-in-law, um, so my wife's brother played hockey growing up and, and, and my father-in-law had to break up fights between parents in the stands 
you know, so there's sort of this real, like everybody's kid's going to be the next Sidney Cosby or next Connor McDavid. Well, I think part of that, I think part of that is parents trying to live out their dreams for their yeah. kids, right? Yeah. They had expectations about themselves um, that they put on their kids, which is, I think, a big thing. And then, of course, then they may have expectations just generally of their kids. And so whenever your reality doesn't meet your expectations, you get frustrated. But yeah, with hockey in Canada, that's <laughs> we see that all too often. It's insane. Sure. Even a couple of years ago, the, the World Junior team so the world juniors is this annual tournament happens over christmas time and i think it's all 17 18 19 year olds no it's isn't it under 18 it's the world junior Mm -hmm. under 18 tournament so the oldest kids there are 18 canada is expected to win every year and they don't win every year because there's other good teams out there well they didn't this year yeah yeah that's right and a couple years ago they didn't i don't even they might not have even made it to the gold medal game which is just a sin in canada and there were grown men tweeting at the captain of that team to kill himself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so there's certainly some toxicity there. And I'm not saying that it's just Canadians and just hockey. That happens in a ton of sports, right? It probably happens with football in the States or even baseball in the States or maybe cricket in India. I don't know. Like, Well, I was just going to actually say, I'll talk about, finish finish what you're saying because I was just going to mention a cricket example, which is crazy, but yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, um, but, so there's this toxicity aspect aspect to it when kids are forced to play these sports and they don't want to and there's a bit of a fine line between a kid not wanting to do it because he's you know deep down they actually want to do it but they're sort of scared to fail and there's an encouragement aspect there and so you kind of help your kid you know through these uh through their fears and you help them succeed through hard work and all this stuff when it's a goal that they actually want and then there's your kid doesn't want anything to do with this but you're forcing them to do it and that can have some real negative consequences on kids. And I think, you know, your comment from, from five minutes ago or so, I think sort of links up with, with, with that uh, side of things. But what's the story about cricket? Well, cricket is, is probably more revered in India than hockey is in Canada. I mean, okay. really, cricket is like the, the sport in India. And having a lot of family there, I hear about it. And I, when I, the last time I was there was 2008, and they just started – the Indian Premier League, which is like essentially, yeah, whatever. It's their pro cricket league, and they have all the best players in the world competing there. I don't know if the Indian Premier League is still there. But anyways, just very revered. The cricketers are like demigods over there. And so when there are big losses that happen, like players' homes have been attacked, families have been threatened, like, and this has absolutely been a thing. Um, I guess more sort of relatable to us as dads is – uh, one of the top Indian cricketers, his name is Virat Kohli. He recently put the birth of his first child before over like a cricket match that India was supposed to have with like one of their main rivals in Australia. And so he decided to be at the birth of his first child and he got slammed for that. There were a lot more people. There were more people again, who there were more people who, who praised him, but there were still a lot of people who were just like, no, you have to be there or you ruin this for us because there was, I think, I think he was the top player and it's, it's bad that I don't know his name, but a few years ago, he, he found out that his child was born over, over a text message because he decided not to be there. And so at that time people were like, oh yeah, that's the right thing to do. And, you got to be there for your country and play cricket. But this this cricketer was just like, no, I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to be a dad and I need to be there. And 
Good for so him. So, anyways, yeah, good yeah, for him. But That's it's a, it's definitely it was definitely a big stand, and and uh, I don't think people would question that kind of thing here. Like if if I don't know, like we have uh, one of the top players in Canada in hockey is Connor McDavid, for instance. I don't think is he. He's not married or has a kid, does he? No, no, he's top player in the world. He's probably the best player in the world. Yeah, yeah. What did I say? He's a top player in Canada, and I, you know, I oh. I also like to point out this you know this juncture that I'm an Edmonton Oilers fan, and my Edmonton Oilers just beat your Maple Leafs in overtime tonight. Which I say that kind of loosely because you're not a huge Maple Leafs fan, I suppose. But uh, no, just born there, but always, yeah. I don't bleed blue and white. <laughs> Anyways, go yeah. Oilers. Um, um, yeah, but but let's just say Connor McDavid, you know, has a kid one day. I'm pretty sure people are not gonna. You know, there's going to be some people who, you know, if it was like the finals or something like that, people are going to, you know, rail him over the coals for it a little bit. But generally, most people are not going to go and burn his home or, yeah, no, or well, uh, his family or anything. One of his teammates, a guy named Zach Cassian, just had his second daughter a couple weeks ago. or Yeah, I think two weeks ago. One, could be less. And he missed a game or two for it. And it, it was nobody, like, yeah. nobody thought anything of it. It's, it's, yeah. that, that seems to be the norm now for players in the NHL that when their child is born, they miss at least a couple games. They're there. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Well, you know, which is good, which is really good. I would wonder if it was like that in the 70s and even 90s. I'm, I'm not sure. I would just, um, I, I wonder if that's a bit of a shift in sort of, um, you know, just dads wanting totally, to be there yeah. and prioritizing it. Yeah. 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 What I was going to say though, um, prior to when you said about the failure piece, I agree with that. It's not exactly, I think what I was trying to say, what I was trying to say is that this need for athletes to feel like they need to measure up to their competition or to their teammates. I don't know if that's really a positive trait to carry forward. Like to always feel like you have to compare against somebody. Like, I think, I think the, if you learn from that in a way of, of okay i'm i'm good enough i'm good with my own skin or i'm good with my own qualities and skill level if you can learn in that way i think that's really encouraging and that probably builds a high amount of confidence but if you're always feeling like you need to measure up to somebody and comparing to the next guy who's beside you or that sort of thing i can't imagine that that would be a good quality but i just wanted to i'm not i don't think that that's what you were saying but i just wanted to kind of clarify my thought on that yeah yeah no okay yeah that um that makes sense yeah and i honestly don't remember what what my comment was towards your comment so <laughs> uh i apologize if i if i kind of got those mixed up but uh that seems like a pretty natural place to kind of segue maybe to some of the negative aspects of team sports mm. and i think again like we started with the benefits with the physical aspect. I think the physical aspect certainly can be seen as a negative for team sports. If you think about a lot of team sports, they're sort of prone to exposing kids or young adults to, to injury and, and Mm -hmm. you know, some more than others. So football, for example, with head injuries, CTE is something that everybody knows about now across the globe. And I, you know, it's seems to me pretty clear that there's a link between, um, repeated blows to the head, particularly for guys who are playing offensive line or, or uh, defensive line who are hit in the head just about every play of every game mm. and the long-term impacts that that has um, to your cognition and to your brain. And But there's other sports like soccer. Um, you know, concussions aren't rare in soccer. Uh, concussions mm-hmm. aren't rare in hockey. Concussions aren't mm-hmm. rare in a lot of other sports. And then there's other forms of, of injury as well. You know, ligament 
uh, damage, um, broken bones. Um, you know, there's any kind of sport where there's a number of people running around on a field or ice surface or court or whatever it is, there's a higher risk of injury than if you didn't play that sport. And some of those injuries can be permanent, right? They're injuries that, that you're never going to bounce back from. And so I think that, that, that that's an, a negative off the bat and probably more so in, in some sports than others, but that's certainly a negative. I, I would think. Is that a, do you feel like that's a concern for you? Like if your son went into sports? Yeah, hundred percent. The, uh, particularly the, the brain injury aspect of it. I, I don't think I would be comfortable if my son wanted to play football. I don't think I'd be comfortable if my son wanted to be a mixed martial artist. Not that I don't respect those people and not that I don't think that they're incredible athletes and not that I don't appreciate. I've been a football fan for years. I played football for a long time. I enjoy watching MMA. I think that you know those people are incredible athletes and I don't I hope that me saying that doesn't make them think that I'm looking down on them or something. I I I I absolutely sort of respect what they do, but I you know, now as a parent I just think that like there are ex NFL players who are who are killing themselves by shooting themselves in the heart so that their brain can be preserved for scientific research so that they can learn more about the long term impacts of football. Like that's so like it's a very real thing. Um and I think that that's really scary to think about those long-term impacts. And I don't really want to expose my son to that. Do you, do you, do you think though that, well, there's no question that the medical support systems have evolved and changed. And so I, I know, I, I mean, I don't know you follow the NFL more than I do, how much they have changed since a lot of that CTE stuff came into sort of the mainstream news. But would you feel more encouraged if some of these sports really made headwinds into supporting their athletes. So we know like with mixed martial arts, for the most part, if you're, if you're knocked out, they don't, it's not like boxing where they force you to stand back up after they give you a 10 count and you got to stand back up. Like that stuff is just so dangerous. Mm -hmm. uh, What they do with boxing. I don't know if they've made adjustments since, but, but with, with MMA, you get knocked out, the fight's over, right? And then you get treated immediately and there's protocols for making sure fighters don't come back and, and doing all those things. That's not to say I wouldn't ever want to see my kid get knocked out or get their face slammed or, um, you know, I would never want to see any of that. But I guess if, you're, if your child really wants to go into that team sport and you know that perhaps the support systems are there to to address injuries and to put them on a really good path for recovery, you know, may, maybe it doesn't make it any easier, but, but does that, I guess, change anything? It would be a different situation. I think if, if my son came to me and was pleading to play this sport, if he just loved it, if he loved it so much and he really wanted to play it and it was my fear around his long-term health that was stopping him from playing it, I would be conflicted because I would, yeah. I would want him to be able to pursue the things that he wants to pursue. And I learned, you know, so playing football, I learned a lot about myself and I learned a lot mm-hmm. of things that I look back on very positively. And I would love for him to learn those lessons and, and to kind of learn those things about himself in the way that I did. And so I would be very conflicted if, if he came, if I said, no, you cannot play this. And he came to me and he's like, dad, please, I really want to play it. Um, so talk to me again in a couple of years and maybe I've changed my tune. They've certainly gotten better at recognizing concussions. And I think every league, 
at least that I follow now, has something along the lines of a concussion protocol. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just last week, Patrick Mahomes, sorry, two weeks ago, Patrick Mahomes, who's a quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs, got tackled. He got up, was wobbly, clearly concussed. Mm. They take him out of the game right away. But he played again a week later. And it, you know, for people who've had a concussion before, and I know that it's not, not every concussion is is the same. The same. Certainly, they're not. Yeah. Some people bounce back from the day. Mm-hmm. Um, getting back to one hundred percent within a week is after what after how how he got up and how he was looking. You know, you sort of wonder. And there's a lot on the line whether he plays or not. He's probably the best quarterback in the NFL. If you know, they're trying to get to the Super Bowl. He's young. He's too. young. He but yeah. he wants to play for his guys. He wants to play for his team. Mm-hmm. He wants to come through for his teammates. Because you want to be that guy. You want to be sort of the hero. You want to be the one that's there for your teammates when they need you. That's part of team sports. And so there's no doubt that professional leagues, all leagues around the world, are treating concussions more seriously than, than they ever have. And that that's probably only to be expected to increase. Still, though, right now as it stands, if my kid came to me and said, do you want to play football? I would probably say no. And, and again, that's a personal decision from somebody who loves the sport, who, who played it and, and who loves it, and who certainly doesn't look down on people who want to play it and who do play it. I, you know, I respect those people very much. Just a personal decision, right? I, w- I would probably say no today. Just, just because any sport where you have probably some of the most athletic humans on the face of the earth and they're flying around at full speed and they're colliding, a collision is the end of almost every play in football. Has to be. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. And so there's bound to be injuries there, right? And it's sort of a yeah. weighing the risk versus reward piece. So I don't know. Uh, it, it's a tough question, um, and it's something that maybe my opinions will will evolve on all the time. But I think right now I'm pretty against it. But that's yeah, very interesting. Yeah. But so I think uh, that 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 sort of first negative there for mm-hmm. for playing team sports is injuries is that risk for for physical harm. Yeah. Yep. So the next one that I want to talk about was groupthink. And I'm mm. sure that, that there are others, but sort of these are the two big ones that I identify because I certainly experienced it like when I played sports. But groupthink, and you know, for those who don't know, um, is defined as the desire for group consensus overrides people's individual common sense. Mm-hmm. And when you're in a group of people and that group sort of has a goal and maybe something happens and an individual in that group is like, ah, guys, I don't know about this, but the group is saying, no, no, it's fine. Let's go. Then that individual might just be like, oh, okay, well, the group thinks it's fine. So let's go. And there's a couple of examples of this happening. And one isn't related to sports, but it's an incredible example. It's from the Challenger space shuttle launch in 1986, which was a, yep. you know, just a tragic huge event. Tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. Huge tragic event. And so basically this, it was a space shuttle um, launched in the United States and it was supposed to be this, um, this really big deal in terms of it was the United States showing the world that going into space could now be something that wasn't actually that difficult, that could be much more common and this was supposed to signal sort of the first time where you could link space travel to air travel. And you could maybe sort of see that link and say, in the future, going to space won't be that different from just getting on an airplane and flying mm-hmm. from Milwaukee to Seattle or whatever. And in order to 
to sort of show that they allowed a civilian on on the shuttle and it was a young woman who was a teacher mother too and so where the groupthink aspect of the story comes in is months before the launch engineers were sort of bringing up concerns for a number of things one particularly was a certain o-ring that was used in the launch somewhere in the shuttle i have no idea where Mm -hmm. but it was this o-ring and it was made of this material that didn't perform very well below a certain temperature and the temperature wasn't that cold and it was brought up a handful of times in the months leading up to the launch, but it was never taken seriously because this project had gained such momentum. We're going to show the world what space travel can be. We're going to show the world that we're not that far off, you know, from civilian travel into space. This is a big deal. Yeah. The night before the launch, it gets pretty cold to the point that there's actually ice forming on the shuttle. And it's well below the uh, the operating temperature range for this O-ring. Mm-hmm. And so shortly after launch, everybody's seen the video, I'm sure shortly after launch, uh, Challenger explodes and everybody, all seven people on board died. And it's this Mm. huge tragedy. And then afterwards, there was this mass investigation where they sort of identified that actually there were concerns about this project that were overlooked, but sort of this group consensus um, killed, you know, the individual common sense of a couple of these people that didn't pass up these concerns to, to those who mattered or people just stopped pointing out concerns because, um, you know, it was this big important project. And so people died because of it. And it's, uh, that's probably a pretty well known example. The other one I can think of is hazing in, in sports. And, um, you know, there are hazing rituals for rookies on teams, probably from a fairly young age of athletes. I know I, I, you know, I experienced it probably around 14, the first time, and I was probably 19 the last time I experienced it. But basically, rookies on a team have to go through some form of ritual, whatever that is. And it can be as mild as, you know, having to wear a dress, and uh, which is what I had to do. I had to wear a dress. and uh, We got pictures. Uh, somewhere there are pictures, yeah. And then I had to go out in public, and I, um, you know, you just have to kind of embarrass yourself or whatever. So We're going to post those on the website <laughs> or Insta as soon as we get that set up. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> And, and you know, so j- just rookies have to kind of go through these these rituals um, for teams that kind of buy into this hazing thing as a, you know, a bit of an initiation onto the team. Mm-hmm. But it goes a little too far in some circles. And um, there's a couple NHL players, a guy named Dan Carcillo, and I can't remember the name of the second one, that filed a lawsuit in 2020 against the Canadian Hockey League, which is a junior hockey league, mm-hmm. major junior hockey league, I think, in Canada. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of guys who play in the CHL um, and well, sorry, not a lot, but NHL players often will go through the CHL. It's, it's a right. pretty strong league, but there's also a strong tradition of, of hazing there mm-hmm. to a point that goes way, way too far. And it can include physical assault and sexual assault. Um, you know, some players were sodomized with hockey sticks and things like that. And honestly, that's, as on the um, offensive spectrum, that's on, on the lower end. There's some pretty, pretty disgusting things that, that rookies had to do. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of this aspect of groupthink. Like, you can't tell me that everybody in that locker room is looking at this rookie getting sodomized with a hockey stick and saying, yeah, yeah, like, like this is a good idea. I'm cool Yeah, with totally, that, yeah. right? Certainly there yeah. were guys that they're like, guys, this is a bad idea. But they just kind of went yeah. along with it. And that's exactly um, what the lawsuit alleges is uh, the lawsuit's against the CHL and it alleges that 
everybody from coaches up to team owners knew that this was happening, but didn't do anything to stop it because mm-hmm. it was just seen as well. You know, this is just part of our culture. This is just part of being on the team and everybody goes through it and it just is what it is. And so there's some, you know, that's a pretty awful example of group in action. Yeah. And I know for me personally, and we sort of mentioned this a couple episodes ago that when I came out of sports, I, I didn't really know much about myself because I'd always been part of these teams and I'd always kind of spotted in the group thing, whatever the group consensus was, I sort of went along with and not that that's right, but that's what I did. And that has to be, a, that has to be, you know, a, I'm not sure what the long-term impacts that I couldn't find anything on that, uh, on the internet in, in my brief search, as far as data that maybe backs up, you know, maybe kids that kind of come out of sports and they don't really know who they are because this whole group think aspect or whatever it is. But that was certainly uh, my experience. And that's why I was surprised to see in the positive aspect of things, the whole awareness of who you are and strong self-esteem and all those things. Cause um, while I was confident because of sports and all that stuff, I didn't really have a s- super strong sense of self. Um, and so to me that, well, I guess, I guess if you're, I guess if you're, uh, you know, if you've always been experiencing this group think and you're reinforced by your, by your teammates, you're going to build some confidence. I think what will shatter that confidence is, is once you get somebody who, who really challenges that and, uh, and, and creates an environment where that group think no longer operates. Yeah. And now you're kind of like, Oh shoot. Okay. I didn't know. I, I, I wasn't thinking differently. I've never been challenged in that way to think differently. And that's probably where you're, where your confidence would get a little wrecked. Yeah. And think. well, and there are examples of guys going against a sort of group think. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a linebacker for, former linebacker for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, Chris Borland, I think is his name. And he was a young guy, really, really good college football player. Gets drafted by the Niners. I think he was on the team a couple of years and he's just working his way into a prominent role as a starter in the linebacking court for the 49ers mm-hmm. when all this CTE stuff comes out. And he um, he actually called researchers at I, I think it's Boston College is is the school that has the um, faculty members that are really re- um, leading the charge on CTE and sort of I think had the first published article on CTE and he called him and just had an honest conversation with him and he retired at like twenty three he was on the verge of Crazy. signing a pretty big contract making a lot of money he hadn't made a ton of money mm-hmm. i mean he made hundreds of thousands of dollars maybe millions but he was set to make a, a lot more money and he walked away from it he, he just said this mm-hmm. isn't worth the long you know um right the long yeah and you know as a linebacker he's he's in a position on the field where he's making contact very frequently play after totally. play yeah, um yeah. so yeah. and yeah. he just kind of walked away and that's sort of sent shockwaves as the first sort of potential star that kind of walked away and sort of rocked mm. uh the nfl in a couple of ways and, and so here's the guy who kind of breaks that mold and that probably maybe shook some guys or, or you know maybe made a couple other players in the nfl sort of look at their situation or maybe you know um kind of reset their perspective a little bit sort of like like you were talking about somebody who who, who kind right. of comes out of that group think circle and challenges the the status quo and maybe opens people's eyes to it yeah. well i think that's that's sort of the the key in my mind to overcoming this group yeah. think is is you need to have lead, like leadership matters in this sort of case leaders leaders who set an environment that allows for that free flow of thought where people can challenge things. And I suspect that 
even at younger levels that coaches are more aware of that and teaching their their the leaders on that team to 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 create an environment where the rest of their players can feel like they can say something mm-hmm. like i think that i suspect that back in the day or not again you know even when when we were in high school and and certainly i saw it when when I trained my basketball guys at the university level, groupthink was prevalent there. And I think more and more research is showing on leadership that creating that safe environment, creating that trusting environment where people can say what they need to say is so important for the optimal performance of a team. So you need that leadership that's, uh, I think is, is so key to challenging that groupthink group and, and breaking it apart. Whenever on any of the teams that I've worked for um, or have been a part of, I, I, I try to be very conscious of the group thinking. And when I see that, I, I try to, I try to see if there's a way to kind of, kind of break that apart because that can be very, very dangerous. And that challenger example is a, is an excellent example of, of group think really gone horrifically wrong. Another example, which didn't necessarily have group think, but could have been catastrophic globally and I don't know if you know about this, was the Cuban Missile Crisis. So there's there's a fantastic podcast, which I'm kind of right now obsessed with. I've, I've listened to, I think, all the episodes. It's done by John Meacham. Do you know John I Meacham? I don't. He's a, he's a well-known historian, got the, got the most incredible voice, Kyle, <laughs> like just in terms of the way he tells his stories. It's a Southern Tennessee accent. And, you know, this deep kind of baritone voice that just really sets the stage. But he talks about the Cuban Missile Crisis and JFK. And so, you know, this is the 60s, 1960, 1961, I think, um, in October over, over the 13 days, I believe, or 10 days. And this is, if, if, you know, if folks need a little bit of a refresher, this is where Russia plants their missiles in Cuba and is within 15 minutes striking distance of Washington, D.C. And this could absolutely set off an Armageddon moment. And his generals are all telling him, Russians have crossed the line. You need to do this. All the generals are saying, you need to respond. And in, in, that's my general voice. You need to respond. That's good. In, uh, appropriately and 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 strike the russians and jfk you know him his his biggest uh challenge coming into office was he was seen as this young young inexperienced politician and the criticism that he was always going to have is foreign policy and whether he could stand up to the russians and here was a moment where russians brought in their missiles into cuba and JFK was now faced with all his generals saying, you need to go strike. And he challenged that groupthink. And had he not challenged that groupthink, we may have been in a much or a non-existent world, at least for humans. Who knows? Yeah, because it turns out, because the Russians were sort of looking for some provocation, right? Like like they wanted the states to attack so that, that they could blame the states for basically starting World War III. Was, was that sort of what was going on there? Well, the states, a lot of people don't realize that the United States actually had missiles in Turkey pointing at Russia first. Mm. And so Turkey borders Russia. 
And so that's just a huge threat for the Russians. But I think in American history, um, that part is kind of <laughs> kind of left out sometimes. And and you know, real people, people who really understand the history, understand that that was a key part of Russia feeling like their backs up were against the wall, and so they needed to um, sort of retaliate mm. and bring these missiles to to Cuba. But it was it was a moment of where in you know, he, John Meacham doesn't necessarily describe it as groupthink, but when I first heard that, I definitely thought of like, okay, think about if you're the president of the United States and everybody's saying, and, and you know you come into that office and you have these experienced five-star generals who know their foreign policy, know the armed forces, know how to, you know, have taken war theory and all kinds of training and schooling and all this stuff, and they're saying, all of them, unanimously, you got to strike Mr. President. And he says you know, he challenges them and does, doesn't do that. And essentially is able to strike a diplomatic agreement with Khrushchev. Like, I think it's, it absolutely, you know, we're talking about team sports and obviously (laughs) no, but it's a great example. Consequence of group that group, the consequence of group think, but I think it has, can have really severe consequences. And you brought the challenger example and had the Cuban result crisis, turned out differently that would have been the preeminent probably example of group thing yeah yeah man that, that's a solid example and and sort of a nice twist to put on you know to say when not participating in in group think you know you might not enter into world war three mm-hmm. um so no it's a it's a solid uh solid example you got it you got to listen to a podcast it's called hope through history hope through history john meacham fantastic honestly okay. it's it's just he goes he has uh several ex- like several big examples like he talks about it's all american history but you know definitely relatable things like uh fdr and the great depression polio i was just reading a book on fdr interesting dude yeah yeah and so you know I, I, we were talking about fears fears and fears and anxieties in the last episode and not to um go on a tangent because we're talking about team sports but he um, with the polio thing you know we have a right obviously with covid right now in the pandemic as parents to feel nervous about our kids and and to worry about what the future holds for them you know there's a number of global anxieties that we're all or global pressures and challenges that we're all experiencing that probably create a lot of anxieties for us as parents for polio that was occurring over decades and they were looking for vaccines and this was happening you know the spread of polio was happening over the summer months and these were affecting kids and paralyzing them and john meacham doesn't such an excellent example uh, excellent um uh podcast or, or essentially a documentary on polio and anyways highly recommend that podcast i i, I suggest seriously everyone listen to it you really get a true uh, i feel i felt like anyways a true representation of some major historic events in the in the 20th yeah, century man, polio is scary because fdr just like woke up and he's like i feel kind of weird right now i'm gonna go for a run i think and so he like went for a mm-hmm. run with his kids and then he went for a swim and then he got home and was just like i can't really feel my feet that well and that was it and then he just had polio and he couldn't walk for long 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 time and he i know he's i'm at i actually don't know the rest of the story because i'm only partway through that book but let, like right now he's trying to like teach himself how to walk again and at least look strong as he makes his bid for presidency anyways um we can end the tangent there but really really um uh, interesting stories of interesting individuals 
And when they're told well, like it sounds like John Meansham does, man, it's just so fun to listen to. So I will check that out. Yeah. Um, but so, hey, you know, sorry, go I, on. Well, I was going to say, can I, can I kind of uh, just pivot a little bit from our conversation? Yeah, I was just going to uh, finish my point because uh, you'd asked sure. about um, like my thoughts around my son and sports and all that stuff and or like what my considerations were on physical harm and, 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 and all that stuff. And I felt, you know, so I hope my son plays team sports. Um, I, I really, really hope he does. And, and I'm very supportive of that because I think that, that there are a lot of positive aspects of it. And I felt like when I was talking about it before, I really kind of poo-pooed it or, you know, uh, made it sound like I was really, really opposed to it. But, um, I hope in the long run that he does play team sports, um, whatever that might look like. I just hope it's not, you know, one of the ones that, uh, we were talking about before that has the long-term potential for head injuries. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not go. Well, I just with the with the concerns around, I guess sports in general, the concern I have is around body image. Yes. So it's the concern around you know, and this applies to you know if I had a son, but certainly applies to um, my daughter. It's just you know what is Avina going to tell herself about her appearance if she got into sports and she again, didn't feel like she was measuring up and what that would create for her. And that, that honestly gives me a little, like a lot of anxiety. Um, just, you know, feeling like she, there are certain expectations that she, uh, that if she was, uh, you know, whether it be, she's a young athlete to, if she was an elite level athlete, when I was kind of researching for this episode, they're absolutely professional athletes who feel this pressure all the time. And especially with fans who, who, you know, if they don't look a certain way, maybe they're not, maybe they're not as skilled anymore. Maybe they're not as competitive and, and what that can do to somebody in their relationship with food and, and all these things. And it's just, it, it really bothers me. I think for, for, you know, for you and, and your son, but even just for, for people our age, you know, what men have to, men are going through this kind of muscle dysmorphia, right? Where we're, you know, we might be thinking that we're not big enough or we're too small or, or all this kind of thing. That's a really prevalent thing. I know for myself, uh, there was a certain period of time where, I mean, I was, I'm not a, not a big guy by any means, but I was really scrawny and really small and got teased and bullied about that. And, and I just, there was a period of time and there's probably still, I'm sure a little part of me that just feels like I need to be super strong because I need to prove these people wrong, whoever these people were, right? Just needing to, uh, show that I am strong enough. I am lean enough and, and I am, you know, man enough, so to speak. And so if, if I'm feeling that kind of as like an adult a little bit, it really worries me about, you know, if Avina got into got into sports, individual or team. I don't know if it's really that much different. I think a team, sure, you could have some supporting supportive uh, teammates, but it could also go the opposite way as well. You could have a really toxic environment and that could really scar you. And then individually competing with yourself, you know, you might not have those supports to really pull you out of it. And certainly, you know, obviously his parents, Michelle and I would be there and support her in whatever way we needed to. But it's definitely, it's definitely a concern. And so to, to, to know that pro athletes go through it, like, I mean, honestly, that doesn't give me any comfort about the whole thing. 
and especially with social media and people, you know, I was watching, I was watching a video clip of, uh, of, a English footballer saying that, you know, whenever he, he, if he posts something on Instagram and it's with his shirt on, he might get like 40 likes, but if he posts something with his shirt off or whatever, like say he's at the beach or something where his shirt's off, he'll get like thousands of likes. Right. So, so the, the infrastructure is there that perpetuates and makes this thing worse. And so obviously I think we're all concerned about that just in general of kids being on social media, but I feel like in sports, because there's like sometimes this ideal body image, I, I don't know. I just think it exacerbates it even more. Whereas the focus should be on, especially like coming from a training perspective is you design the body to be functional for that sport, right? Like not everybody, not everybody needs to have, you know, broad shoulders and broad hips or, or in a tight waist, you know what I mean? Like you, 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 every athlete needs to look different. A runner needs to, um, generally have, you know, strength in certain muscle groups over than another type of athlete. Right. Um, anyway. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's an important flag. And I think that almost rolls into, like we could do a whole series on Absolutely. social media and and raising a, a kid in the in in a time when social media is as prevalent as it is, and I have no idea how to do it honestly. Like I have no idea how to stick handle my son's exposure to social media and and my son's exposure to the internet and just sign them up for MySpace and you're good. <laughs> yeah, <just> tell, <laughs> son, this is what everybody's on. Yeah, MySpace. MySpace. I don't even know if MySpace is still around. Do you know if it still exists? I I don't know. So, but I'm, I really don't know how to do that. I don't know. Yeah. I sort of just want to shelter him from it till, you know, till he's old enough that he doesn't have to listen to me anymore. But I know that's not reasonable. Are you going to coddle him, Kyle? I'm not going to coddle him, Rupesh, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, but it's a good point because you you probably need to to teach your kids how to use the internet appropriately, and you you need to teach your yeah. kids that if you're going to have an Instagram account or whatever is popular these days, you were talking about TikTok the other day. That here's here's what it is, and it can be fun for these reasons, but it also can be sort of bad for all of these reasons, and you just need to be aware of that. And just know that this isn't a real representation of how people live. But I don't, I don't know how to do that at all. So you and I should do like eight episodes on how to raise a kid in 2021 with social media and at least empower them with some form of knowledge so that they can handle it in a healthy way, but not overexpose them to it. And I don't, I don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think, I think, that would be a great conversation to have. So anyways, I, that was just, I just wanted to raise the whole body image thing because it's definitely something that's, that's on my mind. And, and I also think like, I don't know, do you think that female, I think so, but I'm just curious, do you think female athletes experience more body image pressures than, than male athletes? I don't know. I think, you know, the guy in me that, that doesn't know anything about it, thinks yes but I, I don't know why i think that mm-hmm. i um i mean even even if you look like espn every year puts out a magazine called um yeah 
the, yeah, body yeah, issue. totally. And it, I, mm-hmm. I think that it, it used to certainly be focused more on women than men, and now it's a bit of you know fifty fifty. Or even like Sports Illustrated mm-hmm. swimsuit issue, and that always had female athletes scantily clad and all that stuff. And that's been around for years, years and years and years, way before uh, social media. And so I, I think there's sort of this sexualization or something of of female athletes that has been around you know forever um so i would assume it is but i don't i don't know if that's true i saw an interview with one of the um top crossfitters and she was a two-time crossfit games winner and she said that during her off season there you know she always had this bit of anxiety that she couldn't let her her physique go and she had to keep it in peak performance because if there was an image out there that if she had a little bit of a i don't know a little bit of excess flab or something like that that people would be like that's the fittest woman on earth like that was just sort of the way she operated until she realized that's just not sustainable and that like when you're training for when you're training for one event like the peak you want when you want to be at your peak that can only really happen once a year but i i, I generally i feel like I, 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 and I don't have the full research on this, but I think if a male athlete kind of let themselves go a little bit, they wouldn't be like, there's, there's, they're not going to be criticized from, from, for that. Like there's, there's, I feel like there's a, a sexual lens that gets applied to women way more than would be applied oh to it's men. almost funny when you see right. like a pro male athlete like with a bit of a beer gut or something you're like ho 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 yeah oh that guy's just yeah. drinking too much beer yeah i can yeah. relate to him a little bit it could good yeah. on him whereas thing, that, that right? probably isn't the first thing that, that pops no. into people's head when they see maybe a female athlete in the off season who's just kind of taking it yeah. easy for a bit as she should right like everybody needs downtime yeah. um so yeah i could you know certainly and again it's more anecdotal than anything but you know, I know for sure that when I see like a pudgy athlete, or even in baseball, you know, there's, you know, sometimes first baseman, for example, can be a little bit pudgier because you don't have to be mm-hmm. as agile as a shortstop or a center fielder or something to, you know, to, to play first base. And generally those guys are good at the plate and to be a strong hitter, you don't necessarily need to be whatever, 2% body fat. And so there's always kind of this little chuckle thing about, oh, look at this, you know, first baseman. And it's less prominent than it used to be, but it, it's, it certainly still exists. You know, of guys who are really filling out their uniforms or pitchers, you know, there's some pitchers that, are, that, are, that don't look like professional athletes, but they can throw a baseball 101 miles an hour. Mm. So they're built for function, totally, right? Totally. I mean, but like you look at, you look at, you look at the bodybuilders and you'd think that they're probably the strongest people on earth. And then, but obviously the people can be in the strongest the strongest uh, man or person competition in the world, they are not built the same way as bodybuilders because they just have functional, dense muscle, mm. whereas bodybuilders are incredibly strong, but they're meant to be like, you know, massive mutants, so to speak, right? So just functionally different. Yeah, yeah no, I, I think that there are absolutely different conversations around men and women when it comes to, you know, athletes and, and body image, and it's a good thing to raise. Yeah. And I don't I don't know how to like I I always like to go on these episodes with hey, you know, um here's some interesting things and you know, maybe here's a tip or two that we read about on the internet to sort of help you navigate these things. And I don't really I don't 
have a hot tip for body image. I didn't, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a really tricky, it's a really tricky thing to navigate, I think. And I don't, I, I don't really know how to handle it appropriately. Well, maybe our, uh, one of our 140 listeners or somebody has a, some really interesting tips or comments that they can leave for us. And, 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 and honestly, sincerely though, I think that it, it probably could be a bigger conversation. And when we start to interview people, I think it'd be good to talk to, you yeah. know, maybe there's a clinical psychologist that we could talk to, to have on, have on the episode, because I, I've, I'm a hundred percent sure that I am not the only parent who is concerned oh, yeah. about something like that. Yeah. And so, you know what? Yeah. We don't always have to have the answers, Rupesh. Well, we are nobodies. So <laughs> just we, a couple, we couple of nobodies. Yeah. 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 Um, Hey man, this was, this has been a good conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No, it has for sure. I was just gonna say, yeah, we're up over the hour mark again. I don't know how we keep doing that, but we do. Um, so we should probably wrap it up here. Certainly appreciate the time and appreciate your input as I always do. And looking forward to having more convos just like this in the near future, maybe in about a week's time. All right. Sounds good. Appreciate you, buddy. Everybody appreciate you too. Talk later.